Well, today I have titled this one, The Coming <laughs> of the Kingdom of Heaven. Ah, the coming of the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> so I'm still on the same journey. I'm still kind of looking around, trying to figure out what more I can figure out about the kingdom of heaven. So that's what we're going to study today. And I have several scriptures about the kingdom in hopes of understanding what our God really has for us. Ultimately, we can know that it is the kingdom of God that resides in the midst of each one of us. Ultimately, when we get done today, I mean, that's what I want you to come forth, remembering that because we have Jesus, we have his kingdom in our heart. He has sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. So our first scripture today, you will recognize probably from Christmas time. And this one is Isaiah 6. Verse 6 through 8, it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. For the zeal of the Almighty will accomplish this. I mean, the zeal of the Lord, he's wanting to accomplish his way and his kingdom on earth. So this is a foretelling of Jesus, that he will reign over David's kingdom, which was a whole thousand years before Jesus was here. God said in Acts 11, he said, I have found David a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Oh, Lord, <laughs> don't you want to do everything God wants you to do? I do. Oh, Father God, we're hearing and listening to the Holy Spirit. All right, and then in Psalms 145, starting at verse 9, it says this, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made, all your works. Praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The glory of the kingdom, the splendor of the kingdom, it's an everlasting kingdom. But in these five verses, did you notice how many times all is there? All. That is not 99.8%. That is all. I mean, when God says all, I just love that. I, I saw that last night. The Lord is good to all. The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. And he's going to do that in us and in the world, no matter what it looks like. <laughs> God's will be done. His zeal, the zeal will accomplish this. So we have inherited a kingdom that is everlasting. It never ends, and it is beautiful, and it's full of splendor. I think the Garden of Eden was probably wonderfully glorious, what he made for Adam and Eve originally. Beautiful. 
So going on, who talked about the kingdom? Well, let's go to Luke where the angel is telling Mary about the kingdom. And in Luke 1, verse 30 through 33, it says, The angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, for his kingdom will never end. Never. So not only are we hearing all, we are hearing never. God watches over his word. And another thing that I liked about this, he will reign over Jacob's <laughs> descendants forever. You know, that little portion of us that might have a little bit of deception in us here and there. God's going to reign over. Don't look at the mistakes that we make, the weaknesses that we have. You know, God's going to reign over that too. He loves us. So this gave Mary peace. The angel was prophesying what was to become of the baby that she would carry and she would nurture. Her son, this son, Jesus, has a kingdom. Well, what about the term kingdom? I have my kingdom. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> I got to thinking about this. You know, we have our kingdom, right? Don't come anywhere near me. <laughs> we have our thoughts. Right? We have what we do in our house, in our car. We have our own kingdom. I've been seeking who this God was for a long time. I needed help for my day-to-day -day life. Instead of looking at the big picture, my walk has been centered on how Jesus can help me in everyday life. I liked practical things. So one of the first scriptures I learned was concerning seeking first the kingdom of God. You know that scripture in Matthew 6, 25? It says, do not worry. Oh, man. Thank you, Jesus, because I was a worrywart. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to us as well. God's going to provide for us, look and seek first his kingdom. I was working at the seeking and the receiving part, struggling to believe in this great God who wanted to teach me and provide everything for me. My life and understanding of the Bible had been a mixture of the Old and the New Testament thinking. But these last 10 years, I've seen life a little bit more through the glasses of grace, through grace glasses his favor to me. But as I was studying for this, I was thinking about the different kingdoms. And this is how I saw it this time. We have the animal kingdom down here. And they're kind of maybe representative of the body. And then we have man's kingdom, a little bit higher. And we have the body and our mind. Okay, But then we have the spirit kingdom. And there, we can operate up here with the spirit because we have the body, mind, and spirit of the living God. And we can move up. We can live above the circumstances. We can live with the word of God that overrides the circumstances of life. And that's how we walk by faith, right? We have been delivered out of darkness, out of the kingdom of the world, into his marvelous light, the kingdom of light and of love. In Colossians 
chapter 1, verse 9, this is a long sentence here, <laughs> we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son, whom he loves, in whom we have redemption. Have we heard that today? The forgiveness of sins. He has redeemed us. Another one of my first establishments of God in my life was that he loved me. Me? God loved me. How about you? You know, when you get that realization, God loves you. His kingdom is about his love that we are his children. In 1 John 3, we are his beloved. We can know and see what great love the Father has lavished on us. We are a finished work by his grace. My kingdom? Well, I have had a little bit of an image problem because I didn't like myself. How about you guys? I wasn't perfect. <laughs> I was inferior. At times, I've gotten to the place where I felt such failure to myself and God that I harbored hate. But that makes God sad, ultimately, because it is as though then we're like rejecting all that he has and his son. He has provided his son, this king and his kingdom, to take all the stripes for our punishment on his body, in his body, to become the pure sacrifice for each one of us, for all mankind. I was ignorant, but oh, the day came when I realized what this man of grace has done for me. What joy, what peace, what resting from our laborious works of trying to perform and trying to be perfect. We can just take it. Jesus was perfect for me. I received that. I can rest in that. By faith, we are a finished work. We just have to agree with his grace. Agree that we have the mind of Christ. That we hear his voice. That he has a comforting, encouraging voice. One that says, no matter the situation at hand, you can do this. We can do all things to Christ who strengthens us. No matter what the situation at hand is, we can do this. No, not in the strength of our own being, but by his grace. With him, he supplies all of our need, for he is our helper. He has given us himself. He is our king of kings, and he wants us to inhabit this kingdom. So who was all preaching? There was a lot of different people preaching the kingdom. <laughs> In Matthew 3, John the Baptist was one of the first to come preaching to the world. It says in verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent! Now repent means change your mind. 
change our mind. Think differently. Think differently. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. John was saying that. The kingdom of heaven has come near. In the Passion Version, it says that at last the fulfillment of the age has come. It is time for the realm of God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. So turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. In other words, come near to God, <laughs> to Jesus and his kingdom. For his kingdom has come near to us. It's an invitation for us to commune with him, to be in relationship with our daddy God and experience and partake of his kingdom. And Matthew 4 uh, verse 16, it says it this way. First of all, there was a quote there from the Old Testament. And then it says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, change your mind, think like I do, think differently. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus told the disciples to proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. And the scripture there is Matthew 10. And it's verse 5. It says, the 12 being disciples, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Wow, had you ever seen that before? I mean, everybody's, talk <laughs> everybody's talking. The kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. We have the kingdom of heaven that is near to us. But what about the king? Who is the king of this kingdom that everyone is sharing? In Matthew 2, verse 1, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, it was during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The Magi had a revelation of Jesus, the King, but whoa! When King Herod heard this, he heard this term, king of the Jews. He's like, I'm king. <laughs> he was disturbed, it says, and all Jerusalem with him. Hmm, who's going to come and rival me? So Jesus' opposition was King Herod the Great. King Herod was so disturbed about the baby Jesus being called the king of the Jews that he called for all the children two years and under to be killed so he could kill Jesus, so he could kill him off. We think we have it bad. But Joseph had a dream. God gave Joseph a dream to go into Egypt and live there. And so they did live in Egypt until Herod died. Well, Jesus was a young boy. I don't remember if it was two or three. I want to say it was three or four, possibly when that Herod died. What kind of king are we serving? One who stands for life or one who stands for death? He's the king of the Jews. He's king of my heart. 
Now, let's fast forward to the end of Jesus' life. The world leaders were mocking Jesus at that point when Jesus died. And this is what was said about Jesus, the king of the Jews. And this is in John 19, it's verse 17. We're going to start carrying his own cross. Jesus went out to the place of the skull, which is called Golgotha. There they crucified our Jesus and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. There's a lot of gobbledygook about that. Well, he called himself the king of the Jews. There's a lot of mocking going on, a lot of discussion. We're not going to go into that. But he's the king, and he's preaching this kingdom. He's, everybody else is preaching this kingdom. Well, if you're under a, a, a king that is killing people, what kind of oppression must they have been? under. But Jesus is our King and Savior. Jesus has brought a new and a different message, the good news of the kingdom of God. It was different than King Herod. So we know our King is King Jesus. Okay, so I'm going back now to some scriptures for us, what Jesus said about the kingdom of God. In Mark 4, he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. He's telling the people this. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parable. So when we have the light of Jesus in us, we have the ability to know the secrets that the Father God gives us. In Matthew 13, 11, it says it this way. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you and not to them. God shares his wisdom with us, his ways, his truth with us, his beloved children. He causes us to shine with his light of love and with his abundant peace and with his provision and with his healing. This was another thing that he was totally different uh, King Herod wasn't teaching anything about healing, any signs. But in Matthew 4.23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Because healing is a part of our kingdom life, right? As to the question about when, because the Pharisees are all, you're talking about this kingdom. When is it coming? <laughs> In Luke 17, verse 20, it says, Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, this was Jesus' reply. He said, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is. There it is. No. It is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. I love that. Oh, that's what Jesus tells us. The kingdom of God is in our midst. And then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. And people will tell you, 
there he is, or here he is, do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Ha, what great news. The kingdom of God is in our midst. Hallelujah, Jesus and his kingdom. He wants to give us his secrets of who he is. He made us in his image. So he wants us to be in the world operating as he was. The book of Matthew talks mostly about the kingdom because the Jews, you know, they had kings. It is written to the Jews more so, but we can receive out of Matthew because Jesus is our Lion of Judah too, right? So we're going to go and study a little bit on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where Jesus is speaking what his kingdom is all about. Now, there are eight scriptures here, and they all say blessed, right? You've all heard the Beatitude, blessed, okay? I love this. Blessed. To me, this is Jesus' version of the Ten Commandments. It could also be the, a version of the blessings and the cursings in Deuteronomy. It was his updated, his version from the Old Testament. It's what Jesus is giving us. Now, the blessing scriptures in the Old Testament, if you remember in, in Deuteronomy, they all start out with, if you do, then I will bless you. But here, what Jesus is going to start out there were no qualifiers. He just said, blessed. I love that. In this new version, there are no curses. In the Old Testament, if you do not do well, then cursed are you. And it went on. There was all kinds of scriptures. You'll have all kinds of problems. You know, it was all based on, on what we do or what we don't do, how much we obey. Well, Jesus, he's on the mount. He's going to be giving out blessings without us having to do anything because Jesus is doing everything for us. We are not living under the Old Testament. So we have to watch when, when we're reading out the Old Testament. We can pull truths out of there because Jesus was there and he can be found in every book, but there is never rejection. There's never condemnation ever from the spirit of Jesus. It is not part of his kingdom ways what we do and what we don't do. Jesus has come to become a curse for us, so no curses fall on us. And so I just want to give you two scriptures to verify that Jesus has taken all the curse in his body. In Galatians 3, 13 and 14, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, us, because we're not Jewish, might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. In Colossians 2, verses 13 it also says, when we were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made us alive with Christ. He forgave us 
all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, Jesus has taken it away. He has nailed it to the cross and having disarmed, they don't have arms, no power, <laughs> no power. He's disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So it doesn't matter if we do some dumb, dumb thing. There may be consequences, but God still loves us. He's never going to reject us. He paid the price for us. There's no punishment. We don't have to walk in fear. Wow, thank you, Jesus. We can walk in the grace, grace of God. He's supplied. He's done it all. Jesus plus nothing of me is everything. He's given us everything. We are his kids. We're his beloved kids. He wants us to partake of his kingdom. Jesus has become the curse for us. He has fulfilled the law of the curse for us. So we are blessed. So the Sermon on the Mount. I'm thinking about the mountain. Okay, so what came to me is this scripture. I have to give you this scripture first in Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. Can you see it? Can you see a mountain overlooking the water? This week, the breeze has been, you know, <laughs> you know, Jesus and his disciples up there. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, us, your God reigns. Can you picture it? Jesus was up there. He shared all this and then then he left, and soon after that, or at least in the scriptures, after that, the leper comes and approaches him. The leopards even heard the good news. <laughs> Desires to be healed. Oh, the gentle words of our Savior on the mountain. And I have heard that the acoustics, you know, the way the acoustics were, people could hear for a long distance. It wasn't like we have to go and have a, <laughs> have a big microphone. <laughs> they were able to hear what Jesus was saying. All right, so starting, and this is Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. Now I always thought he was standing up. My picture was, <laughs> and the, his hair was blowing, <laughs> and he was just sharing the love of God, but it says he sat down. There are big rocks in Israel. So I'm sure he was just like here, because <laughs> they're big ones. But he sat down. That was important. He came as a priest. The priest in the temple, they did not have chairs. They were always at work. But here's Jesus. He's going to sit down on a rock, and he's going to share his most important ideas. I've been to hear a music concert here and a music concert there, but over our lives, Fred and I, sometimes we've gone to hear this person speak or hear this person. I think you took Sally Ride. To, I think uh, I don't think I went, but to hear, I don't know if you know, she's an astronaut, Sally Ride, you know, he took our daughter and went to hear speakers, right? So here they are. They're going to hear what Jesus, what is the first thing he's going to say? He went up on a mountainside, he sat down, his disciples came to him, and so he began to teach them. 
It wasn't them only, though, because the crowds started coming. They started hearing because it says at the end of the teaching, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. There was a difference between what he was saying and how he was saying. Here's his first main thing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I love this. Did you see how many times blessed? We're blessed, we're blessed, we're blessed. Happy to be envied. The policy of the administration of Jesus. Notice again, there are eight of them. Well, eight in the Bible means a new beginning. Did you know that? There were eight of them, a new beginning, a new order or creation. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. We're from dark to light, from dead to life. Hallelujah, this is his administration. There were eight of them. Not that there weren't more, but in that particular one there were. And I love that, a new beginning. We're new creations. All right, so I'm just going to go through each one just a little bit and make a comment. So the first one, going to the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so I'm looking at that and I'm going poor in spirit. Well, it doesn't say poor in mind. It doesn't say poor in body. It doesn't say the poor in the earth. It says poor in spirit. Well, to me, that's like not alive, not awake to the spirit. Those who do not know the love or the power of the spirit. However, I know a lot of people talk about poor. Well, God doesn't want us poor either, so I have a few scriptures on that. He is for everybody to receive him. And when we receive Jesus, we have all the richness of Jesus. That's what I felt like God was showing. But if you think of it on poor and rich, well, in Matthew 26, 11, it says, the poor you will always have, but you will not always have me, he said. In other words, to me, this is saying, when you have Jesus, you have everything, right? We have everything. We are rich in Christ Jesus. And then in Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus is reading Isaiah, and he's in the synagogue, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. What will help the poor? Good news, <laughs> right? Again, it's how we think. 
When we change our thinking and receive the kingdom of God, God will work all things for our good. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then um, there's another scripture in the New Testament concerning the rich in the world. I don't think God doesn't want us to be rich because part of what he gave us was healing and prosperity. Prosperity means, it does mean more than things. It means peace. Peace in here, peace out here. But when you have peace, when you have enough to take care of all of whatever our need is and someone else, what is wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. In 1 Timothy 6, Starting at 17, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. For in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God wants good for us. He doesn't want us to be struggling. We all have. I mean, <laughs> I've been there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> We've been there, but God has been good. He's brought us to where we have more than enough to share. Okay, so going to the second one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourn. I looked up mourn. To grieve, to mourn, to sorrow, or to experience grief or mourning or sorrow. To be comforted, ah, oh, don't we all want comfort? What is it? It's to call near. Oh my gosh, we, you know, when we're sad and sorrowful, we tend to, you know, in our flesh, we want to go be somewhere. But God is saying, I'm calling you near, I invite. I want you to be a good comfort, and that is not a drink. It's the drink of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he wants us to come near to be comforted by him. In Revelations 21, verse 4, it says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And this doesn't, just because it's in Revelations, it doesn't mean it's way out there. We can have it today. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. God wants to comfort us today, now, now. And then I couldn't leave without giving you this one in Jeremiah 31, verse 12. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, the young of the flocks and the herds. They will be like a well-watered garden. Oh, that beautiful garden. They will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. And then the young women will dance and be glad, the young men and old men as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. Amen. Sorrow will flee away. There's a song, sighing and sorrow will flee away.
right here, right here. How we think, don't let it take root there, no. Okay, going on, number three. <laughs> Blessed are the meek. What does it mean to be meek? <laughs> no, meek is mild, it is humble, it is gentle. But humble is simply to go, God, I want to do something your way, not my way. Show me how to do it your way. That is to be humble. I really want to do it this way, but Lord, okay, I feel like you're telling me this. Okay, I'll go this way. Not in pride of our self-ability. It's not to grovel. Do it God's way. In Psalms 22, verse 26, and this is in the King James Version, it says, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. And when I looked up heart, it meant to transport with love. Ah, transport with love. God wants to transport us with love. That reminds me of Philip, you know. <laughs> Philip, who, what he uh, dunked whoever it was in the water. And, and then it, Philip took off. He was gone. Love, what love the Father God has for us to receive the knowledge of Jesus and his kingdom. Inherit means to be an heir to, a sharer, a possessor, an inheritance again of the earth. God wants us to inherit everything, to have whatever it is, is on our hearts. He puts on our hearts. And you know what? A lot of times... We can do more, maybe, than what we think we can. He wants to give it to us, show us. In Psalms 37, verse 11, and this is the New King James Version, it says, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We shall delight ourselves in the abundance of peace because we inherit the king and the kingdom. Hallelujah. All right, the next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Thank you, Jesus. In Isaiah 41, verse 17, it says this. The poor and the needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst. But I, the Lord, I will answer them. I, the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. He won't forsake us. He will fill us. He will come to us. He will provide for us. He wants to. We call upon him. He answers. In the New Testament, in John 6, verse 35, Jesus declared, what? I am the bread of life. Those who hunger and thirst, I'm so hungry. He's the bread of life. Whoever comes to Jesus, it says, will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We might feel that way, but we don't have to be that way. And again, I'm not even saying righteousness, but it does say those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But righteousness is a gift. He made everything right for us on the cross. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be right. We receive the gift of Jesus. We are filled. And then I had to look up what filled meant, and it meant fodder. 
y'all, I lived on a farm, so you got the fodder, you got all the food, you know, you're putting on that, what they, we called silage, but it means to gorge. <laughs> we can gorge ourselves with the word of God. How much word can we get? It is important what we are reading, but God wants to fill us. He wants to give us with scriptures. I mean, if you only got one scripture, you can meditate on it and God can fill you with that one scripture. Supply our food in abundance. That's what a gorge meant. God is our abundant God. He is rich. It means to fill, feed, and to satisfy. He wants to satisfy us with every good thing. But the enemy, we do have an enemy. <laughs> you know, he's always trying to kill, steal, and destroy from us or tell us we can't have it. We do have an enemy. But Jesus said, I come to give you life and life more abundantly. Doesn't it say that? Hallelujah. All right, next. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Okay, so I looked up merciful, compassionate. And then it says, to compassionate by word or deed. Specifically, it said, by divine grace. Ah, thank you, Jesus. We can do this by God's grace. We can be graceful to other people. Have you? I've been there. I didn't feel like I really wanted to be real merciful. But, you know, but okay, God, I hear you. You love everybody. You give me the ability by your grace to be merciful to have compassion on people because after all, yeah, I don't want to pray anything bad about anybody else because I don't want to receive anything bad. That's how I've always been. I've heard people pray all kinds of things over people, you know, to get them to come into the kingdom. It's like, I never prayed that way, huh? No, my God doesn't do bad things. You know, I always wanted to be sensitive. Anyway, so that has helped me be compassionate and merciful to people that do dumb, dumb things or hurtful things. Blessed are the merciful. Okay, two different times Jesus uses the term, I desire mercy. They were both in Matthew, but it was two different times. In Matthew 9, 13, to the Pharisees, Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, Jesus said. For I have not come to call the righteous, but I am calling the sinners. He came for people who make mistakes, who can't figure it all out. You know, he's not there for the Pharisees that we got everything all together and we're going to do, 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 and we'll get, get, get. I mean, that was going on at Jesus' time too, the legalism. And then in Matthew 12, verse 7, again to the Pharisees, but again it was a total different situation, but I didn't want to go into all this, but two times, this is important to Jesus. He says to the Pharisees, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. So they were condemning innocent people. Jesus does not condemn us, number one. He do certainly doesn't condemn the innocent. Blessed are the merciful. We will be shown mercy. Okay, going on. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Okay, I just had to look up here. Clear, clean, and pure. 
All right, so then for that, I went to Hebrews 9, and this is in the New King James. And <laughs> when I was reading this, I love it, because uh, last week I did a little thing on the God of much more. And this starts out, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, he will cleanse, he will purify our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. He's going to cleanse our consciences. We don't have to be living with guilt and shame. We don't have to be living in the past. From right now, we shouldn't be thinking about the past. The enemy always wants to bring up the past. Oh, this happened back there. Maybe it was going to happen here. No, from today on, God has cleansed and purified us, and we can have pure thoughts, and we can go on believing God. In Proverbs 22, verse 11, it says, He who loves purity of heart and... All of this has grace on his lips. The king will be his friend. That was just one of the Proverbs. You know, he loves purity of heart. We have grace on our lips. Our king is our friend. And then in 1 John 3, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In 1 John 3, verse 2, starting out, Beloved, now we, you and me, are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him. We shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Because when we're reading the word of God, God is purifying. He's cleansing us. You're going to go out of here today thinking different just because you've heard some word. It has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with God's word. It will help you to think differently and it will cleanse us. Oh, I'm not going to think that way anymore because I know this. God helps us. He causes us to see. We can see God. It's not someplace off. It's today. Now, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. All right, so I had to look up peacemakers, and here's a word for us all to be able to enunciate before we go to lunch. Peacemaker means pacificatory. <laughs> that means peaceable. It wasn't even in my dictionary. Pacificatory, this was Bible dictionary. Pacificatory, tending to promote peace conciliatory. Blessed are the pacificatory. <laughs> we're peacemakers yep. is what that means. We're tending, we're promoting peace on earth. Romans 14 and verse 17, and it says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Blessed are the peacemakers. We can do it. In Luke 18, 
in verse 16 too, it's talking about the children, for they will be, the peacemakers will be called the children of God. Luke 18, verse 16, it says, but Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. We are like children, the children. We are God's children. The kingdom of God belongs to the children of God. We are peacemakers. Blessed are we being peacemakers. All right, and the eighth one, it says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. James 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test with faith, that's my part, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's what we get, a crown of life. Hallelujah. All right, so this pertains to the last days. In the last days, many will question again, where is this coming? I've heard that the Lord is coming. The king is coming. The kingdom is coming. Well, where is it? Have you heard that little scoffing going on? This is 2 Peter 3. It starts out in verse 3. I'm starting. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, well, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, my dear friends. This one thing with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you and me and everybody else right? He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He wants everybody to come to him. In closing, the coming of the kingdom of heaven is for me and it is for you. As we have received Jesus, his kingdom lives in us. We have our own kingdom to rule. What we think, what we say, what we do. It says in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Each one of us. 
He says, I give you life and death, but choose life. We get to choose that each and every day. Now, way before COVID, I have subscribed to a Christian brain doctor. He's retired, and he has a little newsletter. I've taken several of his suggestions through COVID and everything. And yesterday, I get my latest little newsletter, and I want to share one little part with you. It is titled, Teach Your Brain to Say No. This is medical. This is science. The brain has a special area, and he tells what that is. The brain has a special area that restrains harmful behaviors, especially those based on memories of past experiences. That includes harmful eating behaviors, But like all parts of the brain, this particular part must be exercised to function efficiently. That is, you must use this part of your brain to say no to harmful behaviors. The more this brain area develops, the easier it is to resist these behaviors. What am I telling you? I am telling you that we have Jesus, that our brain has received the word of God, not only our spirit, but our brain, our thoughts. You know, we can change. We can say no. And that's where I was saying the enemy comes and he tries to tell us all kinds of lies, but we have the ability to say no. No, I don't have to accept you. Jesus has already died on the cross. I used to, in um, my faith walk, before I knew the grace walk so much, I was fighting all the time. Devil, I bind you. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But when I learned grace, it is finished. I don't even have to listen to the devil anymore. When I hear him, wait a minute, that's not me. You've been dissolved. Jesus took care of you. I don't even have to listen to you anymore. I don't have to fight you. I fight from victory. We fight from victory, not for victory. I mean, what a little sentence, but how much power. We have the victory, and we can tell our brain, we are not going to accept that. I am not an instrument for the devil. I'm an instrument for the Lord. I used to play the clarinet. I'm going to blow air for the glory of God, for the glory of the kingdom of God. I'm going to speak the kingdom and what he has. He has this for us in Uh, Titus 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God knew us. Jesus walked 2,000 years, but he knew what we were walking through today. He knows. It says that we can live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait, ah, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Is that not each one of us? 
So that's pretty much it. <laughs> Until I was, I already was thinking about this message a while back because I've been thinking on it. But I got to July 14th, and I want to share this with you because this day I was just, oh, Father, you're so good. And this is out of a little devotion from the person who wrote the passion message, and I just love this. It says, The heavenly realm is yours, beloved. The kingdom of heaven is my gift to you. Bring your heart into my kingdom until you are transformed from the inside out. For the kingdoms of the earth will fade and will fall, but my kingdom my kingdom will increase and take you from glory to glory. Only come, abide in my presence. Linger under the refreshing streams of love that flow from my heart to yours. Allow me to fill every crevice, every fiber of your being. Seated with me, everything is at rest. Faith becomes the flow of life when you see yourself at my side. Miracles are nothing more than my kingdom piercing the veil and coming into the earthly realm. Faith is the currency of heaven that brings miracles. Take your place of rest and believe, for my day of power is upon you. Come and learn of me, and I will teach you my ways and unveil my heart to you. Sit under mercy's foundation and live in me, for I am your God. I want you to be so confident in my spirit within you that the realm of my kingdom is just as real or more real than the situations around you. I want you to live from the inside out, beloved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We thank you. Thank you, Father God, for the coming of the kingdom of God. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Father God, that we are learning about you more so and deeper, Father God, about the kingdom, that your kingdom lives in us, that it's a glory, that there's glory in the kingdom, that there's splendor of the kingdom. We just thank you, Father God. We thank you that Jesus said, don't go looking here or there, but because my kingdom lives in the midst of us. Thank you, Father God. The kingdom lives in the midst of us. We give you praise and glory and Father, I just thank you that as we go about the week, Father God, we will all recognize and know that we are blessed and that you will give each one of my brothers and sisters things on each day that they will recognize that you are there with them, Father God, that you want to bless them in so many different ways, Father God. And we give you praise and glory for this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE G-I-V-E to 833-632-1315 or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, 
he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.